Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Late Lunch Playback this second week in June and what a week we've enjoyed. It's 30 years, yes 30 years since Italia 90 and we've been reminiscing all week on Late Lunch. Legendary Celtic and Ireland fan Adrian Hillman rolled back the clock when he recalled the journey undertaken to get to Italy. Boat to Hollyhead, you see pints on board, there's a band on the boat called Paddy's Dream. Off the boat, I think it was 600 of us. On a train, eight and a half hours to Folkestone. Folkestone on a boat to a place in France. Now, watch my pronunciation here. Aligned in France. And from France, an overnight train through the Alps down to Naples. Landed there, and then we got a two-hour bus trip down to a little village called Paestum in Italy. So we left on Wednesday at lunchtime, and we landed there Friday evening. Wow, what a marathon journey. And is that where you were based for the duration then? We were based over the first four games, yeah. For we went, we went no. from there for Palermo, Sardinia for the for the Dutch game, the Eastern game, and then for playing the English over in Sardinia, you know, on the Monday night, on the eleventh of June. Yeah, because there was a lot of travelling in these group games. You were in Sardinia, there was uh, two games uh, in Cagliari in Sardinia, there was two in Palermo, Sicily, and then you were off to Genoa and finally to Rome. One of those boat trips, you had a boat trip there that was an absolute marathon, I believe. It was 10 hours exactly. No drink, no food, no nothing. But we get on, we're like prisoners. An apple, an orange and a sandwich and a drink. And that was it, 10 hours then. And then we had to get the train then, then because the English had the the closer boat. We had to yes. travel down, you know. It was just, it was horrendous, but there were only young bucks then, Jerry, you know. Yeah, and that was the trip to Sardinia for the English game that finished 1-1. One, one. One, um, yeah. And, you, you know, the, the, the adventure started with the draw with England. Poor res- game against Egypt, nil-nil followed, and then that Dutch game where Quinn got the goal and qualified us through for, for, for the knockout. You're talking about, and I mentioned this to Paul Lennon yesterday, no such thing as a mobile phone with any of you. Well, 30 years ago, as I said, you had to close your eyes. This country was in recession. We nothing. I mean, people on about pizza and pasta. The, the fanciest thing you got then was the little pizzas in Dunn stores and draw The other ones you had to put in the oven, the little sixteen. <laughs> um, no social media, no TikTok, no nothing. You went and you were heard of when you came back. That was it, you know. Did you contact home at all for the time you were away? Oh, me mother, you know, me mother's a, a church-loving woman, so she, I had to promise her I'd ring her when I got to Rome. So when I landed in Rome and I got the book of the holy water, I had to give her the ring to say, 
I had the merchandise on board, you know. <laughs> and I that was the. A, I had to bring a bucket back from when Sadie played in Lacho that last November. Another bucket of holy water. <laughs> so that was the only call, and and is that what you came home? But did you bring anything home to anybody? Any you know, stick a rock or anything oh, like that? We still, have, we still, we still the plastic World Cup, the wine glasses made of the World Cup, the flags, the badges, still have all that stuff. Because mm. Arla thinks I'm a bit of a hoarder, you know, it's all up in the attic in little boxes. <laughs> I have to ask you this. When you were in Genoa, that game with Romania finished nil-nil, went to penalty kicks, Packy made the save, of course, the big Celtic connection for you there. Do you remember the feeling when O'Leary scored? Well, see, I just said, uh, Tommy, when the penalties came, you know, Hadji was after running right all day, you know. I was at the Scottish Cup final maybe what, two or three weeks before that. Aberdeen batters, I think it was about 9-8. And for some reason, Packy died the wrong way for every penalty and I just said to someone, with no chance here, you know. But the build-up to the game and then the penalties, you know. Sheedy, yeah. Houghton, Townsend, and then Cascarino, he was like a junior D footballer. Do you remember him hitting the ball and half, half of the stadium nearly went all over Italy? Then, of course, <laughs> then of course, O'Leary. And O'Leary hadn't been playing regular during the fall every jack at the time of the Iceland tournament, you know. In, yeah. I think that was about 1986, 87, you know. Yeah. And that back to O'Leary when he scored, I presume just the place fell apart. It was one of those feelings. Well, we were drinking a good soup then, Jerry, but it just got a bit out of hand that night then, heading back to our base. Yeah. Just one of the greatest. Yeah, Even when you've seen it in RT there a few weeks ago, you still get the tingles, you know. And Nathan holds his bread, you know. Ah, what words. We'll never, ever forget them. Never forget Tell me it, this. Know. Tell me this. You said you had arranged for four games, which is three group. You expected, obviously expected the team to go through. You had the, the first playoff game in Genoa. How did you get tickets for Rome and the Italy match? Well, once you stayed on, you paid the extra few quid with fun track. They looked after everything, to be honest with it. Uh, we had it up like, for the Romanian game and then we... We moved on up to Rome, I think it was called the Seven Sisters Camping Site or something, I can't really remember. And we stayed on there for a few days. Then they organised, uh, we flew from Rome then to Luton, got a bus down to Hollyhead and got the boat across on the way home. So it was, it was a bit of an epic journey back then, you know. I came back from England the week before we went, so I was missing I was missing an action for six weeks. A month in Italy and two weeks in the league, having the crack. Another man at Italia 90 for the duration was Figgy Curran. He brought us more memories. But first, where did Oliver get the name by which he's known by everybody, Figgy? My next-door neighbour, Mrs Power, when I was a little baby, my mother had me in the pram, and she gave me a few chocolate biscuits one day, and I destroyed my clothes. And as I grew older, Mrs Power came back, and she said, I'm not giving you them chocolate biscuits. She gave me a packet of fig rolls, and I sculled a full packet of them. And she put the name on me, God bless her. She's dead now, but uh, the name stuck with me from about two years of age. That's all I'm ever being called is Figgy. The fig roll. Yes, Jim Figgerty. Who put the figs in the fig roll? My God, there you are. There you have an exclusive on late lunch this afternoon. Anyway, didn't didn't you and I talk? Was it how many years ago? You were in Poland, uh, were you? But yeah, eight years ago. Eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did indeed. That's just come to my mind now. Listen, let's go back to Italia ninety and your story. You also went on the fun trek package. Yeah, it was. Uh, I went with uh, David Walsh from Kilmainham and uh, a chap from Navan who walked with me and the rest of them were all around me from Newton, all the soccer clubs, do league, screen, all the Hillman, Adrian Hillman, 
yeah. Kevin Trainer. out. So there was a big contingent from Mead. We stuck together, the Mead boys, you know, when we were mm. travelling. So there was about 10, 20 of us stayed in the one, uh, all the apartments, and we'd go down crack, you know. Yeah. It was. A lot of those countries were very cheap, but Italy was very expensive for everything, you know what I mean? Like, you know. Mm. What about being there and away from home? Uh, Adrian Hellman told me he made one phone call home while he was away. That was it when he got to Rome to his mother. What about you and contacting home and knowing what well, was going on there? Well, Jerry, I missed home, of course. I, uh, like, I love my country and I miss my family. And I, I did phone my father and mother just maybe once or twice. It was very hard, you know, to get through at that time. You know, it's all changed now. But I did let them know that it was all right. And then... As I said, yeah, in between, I was on Darty News. Darty interviewed me, and I was on the 9 o'clock news begging <laughs> for more money before when we qualified for the quarterfinals. I had no money left. I don't know how I was going to survive. So I, I, I a message, I said, I'd meet you all back in Keswood, uh, at the cross to Keswood, the World Cup, and could you send me out a few pounds? And the boys were. I was working in a computer factory, then at Electronics, an American company. They were very good to me at the time, and they gave me the time off. I had to even extend my holidays because there was no way I was coming home if we had to get any further. I was coming home when Ireland went off there and that was it so they were very good to me and the people were going to send out a few pounds but uh, unfortunately we were beaten in the quarter final so it was time to come back home to my lovely county Ireland <laughs> So you were actually broke you went on national television appealing for support Ah well Jerry the story was we didn't expect I, I love me, uh, football but uh, we were in yeah. Holland and England in a group I didn't think no, we exceeded expectations and then we bet Romania on the penalty shootout and to get to the quarter final of the World Cup in your first tournament was unbelievable like, mm. uh, you know even though I love me country I, I didn't expect us to go that far so we had so much money and so we were enjoying the celebrations <laughs> we were out celebrating every night you know with all the local fans and so it, it was unbelievable Jerry you know Figgy, did you do a lot of drinking? I did at the time. Now I, 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 I did. Now at night time, we'd play during the day. We'd play against the locals, and as you know, you interviewed Adrian Hillman. Now he was a tough man, a tough mead man. We played the locals. We were very skillful. But our Irish boys, we were a bit rugged and tough. But uh, I'll tell you, we played three games in a row again. And the next day, they said we don't want to play if he's playing. That was Hillman because he he was a tough opponent. He was like Mick Lane, so he was yeah, he'd hit you, and you'd know he was hit. So the Italians were very fancy with the footwork, but uh, they weren't up for the toughness. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, there's a lot of boys in the northeast carry a piece of Adrian Hillman with them, no matter where they go, even are. today. <laughs> yeah, I know. I played against him. I played against Michael. Yeah, he was a tough man. So he was. He was. He was. He was. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. What a character. What a man he is. Um, yeah. the, the, the Vatican and Rome. Have you? Did you go visiting when you were in Rome? Yeah, to see yeah, him? I did. Jerry, it was unbelievable. The Vatican. I thought I'd never see it, and I was so proud to, to reach the Vatican. We were having a few days uh, travelling and uh, rough time now lying here and trying moving there and moving there but we tidied ourselves up we had to and dressed up nicely which was wonderful because that was the night I was interviewed and thank God my mother thought I looked great because I had a lovely striped shirt that she got me and I was well dressed because we had to tidy ourselves up for the Vatican and it was a wonder, wonderful building and a very peaceful place where we, we said a few prayers for our families back home and kept praying that we keep our journey going here in Italy and we bought a lot of pictures of Pope John Paul II which was my mother loved she still had more of age she loved Pope John Paul mm.
Ah, yes, lovely, lovely memories of your mum and and that time. It is emotional when you when you think yeah. back and reflect that thirty years have gone by and look at all that have left us. What is it about us Irish men and our mammies? A love that endures forever. Nice one, Figgy. The death of George Floyd has unleashed a wave of protest in the United States and around the world. John M. Shanahan, who now lives in Drogheda, was on a visit back home to the USA when he was caught in the COVID lockdown. Early on in the week, I was joined by John from Houston, Texas, and I put it to him that racism is the sore that's been festering for centuries. Well, it is, it is a sore that's been festering for centuries. Um, we have the promise of liberty and justice for all here in the United States. But unfortunately, that promise has not been fulfilled because the United States, Jerry, as you very well know, and so many of your audience would understand, the United States is populated by immigrants, all of us, whether we're white or black. The white folks came on ships to get away from oppression in England. Uh, later, much later, uh, the uh, uh, the Irish came uh, to get away from poverty in Ireland. Um, and in the meantime, along with the early arrivals here in the United States of the pilgrims, we refer to them uh, here, uh, came the slaves. And they, of course, were they, they, they came not because they wanted to make the voyage, but because they were in chains and ships. And for those 400 years, uh, we've had really two systems of cultures here in the United States. And it's really been most unfortunate because uh, we've, we've done a, a terrible job of, uh, of having this promise of, of one nation uh, you know, for all of us. And so now with the death of George Floyd, almost two weeks ago now, um, we've, I think finally, we finally as a nation come to grips with this terrible reality of racism. And hopefully it will not be business as usual. Hopefully we will have learned our lesson this time and begun to make the serious steps to, re- to redress the, uh, the terrible sins of racism here. You go back to the 60s and the great movement that happened then and Martin Luther King, and we thought at that stage this was going to be a fundamental change in, in US society. And then you come on and Barack Obama is elected as president of the states, the great black hope uh, for the black community in America and uh, the people, who, as you said, who came from Africa. And yet, really, John, did Obama's election make any difference at all? Not in the, not really in the hearts and souls of those who had their their uh, their mindset that they wanted to live a separate life uh, to to keep racism alive. And in fact, um, from from the outset of his candidacy uh, for public office, uh, Obama had to uh, put up with. Uh, overt racism directed against him. Uh, you will remember, as your listeners will also, certainly, uh, the the campaign that uh, Donald Trump waged against Obama, not because uh, Donald Trump was, was opposing him politically in the 2016, but in that year and in the years that preceded, uh, Donald Trump went around uh, carrying on that Obama wasn't a United States citizen. Well, of course, that was utter rubbish, and we all knew it. It was one of the many lies that Donald Trump has told. But it was indicative of the mindset of many people of Donald Trump's ilk that remains today. My hope is that um, that we will be able to progress forward now from the, from the protests and the demonstrations that have rightfully taken to the streets and, and and do something very different than we were able to do in 1968 
a year I remember well here in Houston uh, when we had the protests and demonstrations uh, resulting from the riots of that year and the two years previous. So hopefully things will not be the same, Jerry. I think maybe this time we finally turn the corner. You know, it's a vast nation, as you say, and it's a, a United States and there are so, so many diverse uh, people in it that come from all over the world. The Minneapolis Police Department and the the, um, the governors there, the people who govern that area, they've said that they're going to fundamentally change policing there. They're going to take the policing system as it is apart and reconstruct it. Is that something that should happen all over America? Well, I think we need to do, and I'm very proud of, of what I see here in Houston, by contrast with Minneapolis. You'll note that we really had no problems at all with police violence here in Houston. And by contrast with Minneapolis, that comes as a result of a very deliberate and different culture in the police department, uh, a culture of community-based policing, of what uh, police chief Art Acevedo, and I was in touch with Art, ironically, just a little while ago before this phone call took place. Um, but what Art, what Art calls relational policing, and what that means is getting out of the community putting the, the nightsticks away and, and the pepper spray and all of that carry-on away, and from what has been in many places in the United States, uh, a militarized police force, putting all of those things away and simply talking to the people in the neighborhoods and doing what, uh, and, you know, I, I think we have a great lesson to learn from uh, Ireland and the Irish cops that came to the United States. I, to, as, a, as a young Irish-American growing up in New York first and then later Houston, I remember particularly the Irish cops that would walk down the street and we'd get to know them and they would know us. And so when that sort of thing happened before trouble took place, they were able to put it down. And so what Art Acevedo, the chief of the Houston Police Department, is doing is the right thing, getting to know the people, having his officers do the same and trying to deal with everybody of every culture and color on a one to one, very human basis. And I think that's the right direction. What about what you mentioned a moment ago, that there is what you would call this white elite who don't want to let go, really, and want to be the superior, I hate using these words, the superior race or being. And look at that in the context of racism, leaving the policing aside for a moment, uh, John. What about that issue? That is a massive issue. How is that ginormous problem turned around? Well, you put your finger on the, the very the real issue here. It's not just about George Floyd. It's not just about policing. George Floyd's murder was was incomprehensible. It was unforgivable. We all know the tragedy of it. We saw the the bloody uh, the video of it. We we see the the police brutality. We saw the man knocked to the ground brutally mm -hmm. in Buffalo the other day by a bunch of uh, thugs disguised as policemen. Uh, they've now been uh, charged, and the Irish-American district attorney in that county, by the way, uh, has made it very clear that he's going to prosecute them to the hilt. But the real problem, Jerry, is is racism. Uh, the, the feeling that we can judge a person by the color of his or her skin uh, and denigrate that person if they're not white. And yes, there is very, very genuinely uh, a, a very real... Uh, element of that in the American society. We've got to get rid of that. And, I, and frankly, I think the, the, the protests 
as I put use the words the other day in responding on this very subject, the protests in the streets are righteous. They're well, they're 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 very proper, and uh, unfortunately, Mr. Trump has done nothing but look the fool. He finally got the wall he wanted, Jerry. He built one around his White House, uh, and now we're basically standing on the other side laughing at him. But the, mm-hmm. but the reality is that there's an awful lot of those Trumpsters out there who think that's the right thing to do. And that's a very, very tragic thing in this country that's one nation under God. No doubt about it, Trump has indeed fenced himself in. Watch this space. Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital Chaplain, Father Tom Hogan, joined me on the 40th anniversary of his ordination. And during the course of the conversation, I inquired if he was happy with his years as a priest. I think that um, you, you, for a long time, you, you, you'd be grateful, for, first of all, that you, that, that you had the qualifications and the, the priesthood went so well and the beautiful memories of it. You come to 40... Uh, you, first of all, it's, it's a happy time and a sad time because most of those people in my ordination are dead. So you do an awful reflection when you're on your own. In the church, I, I, I don't think, Jerry, I would have got ordained again. My word, Tom. After 40 years. I tell you what, it's, it's a nightmare. It's 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 like you never know when someone's going to pick up the phone and make an accusation against you. You live under a cloud. Um, you're t- you're taken out of your priesthood. You're 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 not let's say mass. You're and there were so many priests who have been wrongly accused. No, and and any priest. I'm not taking them for priests now because they have got us into this. And and these boys have caused us. And who have done wrong and have done children, and there's not, well, God can forgive them, but I mean, what, what do you put the rest of us through? Um, it's terrible. If, for example, Jerry, if I'm, going up, if I'm going up to the sixth floor in the hospital and a young person goes on in the third floor, I get off. I get off on that third floor because you never know who you're meeting, what you're doing. So it has been a nightmare, a nightmare um, for what those men. Uh, to their children and, and 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 families and and some of them committing suicide. So, in that sense, it, it has been tough and hard. Um, and and I've met, given missions for so many years and meeting priests. I've met some terrific priests and in our parish and lost terrific priests. But I, if if I was starting off again in this church, I said, God, you know. I don't think I'd have the strength to face what a young priest has to face today. If I was taken out with the priesthood tomorrow uh, at 80 years of age, like you say, my career is over. If a young fellow of 40 is taken out and maybe the accusation against him is wrong. Mm-hmm. And next thing, what's he going to do with his life? Or what is he going to do? Where is he going to live? And complains to me, well, you can't live in my part of your country. You just suck never far without smoke. But Tom, can I say this to you? And I hear what you're saying. And you've shocked me in saying that, I have to say, because I have wonderful regard for you. And so many people have for the wonderful work you've done over the years in the parishes. And especially, you know, at that critical stage of life for people in hospital with all you've met over the time. You've, may I say this to you? Because 
I want to say this before we finish. You are much appreciated and much loved and thanked for all you've done for so, so many people and be proud of your 40 years, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say this. I'll finish with this. Have you got a minute, two minutes? Just a minute, just a minute, and then we're gone. Okay. People have given me more than I ever gave them. You know what I mean? Uh, I haven't... Well, I'd like to tell you a story about one, but I, but I wouldn't have time because if, if you, you'd be only running you, over time and if, you, and if you cutting the fingers off you. <laughs> you know this game well. You know many games well, but you oh, know... Yeah. Radio. <laughs> I, I want to thank all those, and especially all the, the, the hospital staff who, who sent me on messages. So right through this, they phoned me, they sent me messages, they sent me cards, and my next-door neighbours and all that would me many times. Father Tom Hogan speaking to me from his home where he's been cocooning, dropping a bombshell. With staycations in vogue, I had a chat with Darren O'Brien, who owns a beautiful classic Volkswagen camper van. Introducing the conversation, I wondered where his fascination with vans and camping began. Well, it's, uh, it's a two thing, Jerry. really. It's a Volkswagen thing and a camper van thing. We've always had an old Volkswagen inside of the house growing up. My dad would have drove the vans, you know, when they were just mm. panel vans doing deliveries or even when they were minibuses. So we've always had an old Volkswagen van. In the, there was always one in the family, you know. And that's mm. where it kind of came from, really. Mm. How did you come about, though, this camper van? It's a story connected to London, yeah? Yeah, basically my wife. Um, I've, I've always been into the Volkswagens and my wife's family, um, her uncle lived in London all his life and when he passed away, they wanted to bring his ashes home. So her cousin brought the ashes home and they, what they said to me was, would you go down and meet him? He's coming in down in Dunleary and show him the way back to the house. This is when we lived back in Dublin. We're in Navin 20 years now. But uh, he arrived in in an old Volkswagen camper van and they were after buying it for me. And they got it really, really cheap. It, was, it needed everything to be done to it. It was, you know, pretty bad at the time. There was holes everywhere, a lot of rust on it. And they drove it in and they gave me the key and they said, listen, we thought the best place for this van to go would be to you. <laughs> and that was that was 20 years ago and I still have it. Still have it. And it's a 79 purple. It's 79, yeah. It started out life as an orange and white, original sort of orange and white colours, uh, Volkswagen colours. And now it's Cadbury's purple and white. <laughs> and uh, you'd see it quite regular knocking around Navin, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you're you're a familiar scene, and I believe you are, is right. You've travelled, unlike Nicola, who is very careful of hers and really hasn't gone too far from our base in Dundalk, you've taken this uh, lady, do you you call her a boy or a girl? What's the sex of your van? (laughs) She's the old sunflower bus. Ah, there you go. You see, it is. We we tend, us men tend to call our guards the female sex. I don't know what the women do, but anyway, here you are. So you've taken this all over uh, Ireland and Britain. Yeah, we there'll be shows, there'll be Volkswagen shows, big camping shows, and there'll be shows for the Volkswagen Beetle in the UK. So I would have been back and forth over the years to different shows and camp out for the weekends, but mainly all over Ireland, you know, we do yeah, a lot yeah. of the campsites. And we would meet like-minded people who are driving the same vehicles, you know, all mm. rear-engine, air-cooled old Volkswagens, you know. 
Yeah, they're classics. They really are classics. Yeah. They're outstanding yeah. in my book. And the sound of them is something else. Now, That's COVID right. obviously has restricted you people with campsites, etc. closed. And you've been involved with this festival in Kerry for the last 16 years. What's the story with a, a dub living in Navin involved with Kerry and a Volkswagen? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one. You see, I'm, I'm actually a, a rep on the road and I'd be travelling all over the country. And I got a phone call to say there's one of those old Volkswagen vans. This is going back like 17, nearly 17 years ago. And I got a phone call to say there's one of those old 70s Volkswagen vans painted up in the Kerry colours outside a little pub down in a village called Camp, just um, before Connor Pass. Next stop would be Dingle, you know? Okay, so yeah. It's right down there, and it's in a beautiful part of the country. And I said, look, the next time I'm down, I'll tip in and see if I can maybe get a... Maybe there might be handles or something. That's what I, the way I was thinking back then, you know. So because um, there weren't that much interest in them at the time, so I toddled into the little pub. And when I walked in the door, there was this guy there. He was a, a, an, an absolute legend of the West. Big long beard, and there was Volkswagen parts and photographs of Beatles all over this little pub. And I said to him, "Listen, would you mind if I brought a couple of pals down?" And he said to me, look, that would be like, geez, that would be, that'd be fantastic. I'd love that. It'd be like a dream come true. So his name was Mike O'Neill, and it was the rail, it's the Railway Tavern. And, and ever since then, on the same weekend every year, that first year we had four vans, and last year we had 75. And oh. now, the, now the guards come out and they direct us through Tralee. We go out on a spin and down onto Inch Beach for a, a photograph. And Nationwide were with us one year, and it's just grown from strength to strength. Yeah, yeah and, and of course, the, the, I'm up in Navin, so the connection is it's, it's far, a few and far between how we ended up going to Kerry. <laughs> it's a great story. It's a lovely yeah. story. Is Michael the man that passed away lately? Exactly. Yeah, that's the very one. We went down. Um, yeah, we we basically, what we did was, we because we couldn't get together with COVID and all that, and everybody being on lockdown, we did a little video and we we took a piece of cardboard and put the word legend on it. Because in the west of Ireland, he'd be very, very well known. Very mm. well known. And what we did was we got everybody all around the country, because there's a lot of us, to stand in front of the van and take this piece of cardboard and pass it from one hand to the other and out the other side of the screen as if it's going all over the country. So we made this little video and we sent it down to the family. And sure, look, they were delighted with it. And it was really because yeah. we couldn't be there, mm. you know, because we would have, the, the streets would have been lined up, you know, for us yes. all to be down there for them. Ah, well done to you. you. You certainly have been innovative in what you've done. I've had a look at it and it's absolutely brilliant. What was his surname again, Michael? Michael O'Neill. Mike O'Neill. Oh, Michael o- so Mike O'Neill. The railway remember. in the village of Camp. And that's how ah, they Camp yeah, Fest. Yeah. Well, we we remember him today on the show. Last question, have to let you go. Where are you headed for when the the, the halters are taken off and you can go anywhere in the country? Where's your first destination? Well, believe it or not, the first destination is going to be we're just literally going to go out as far as the coast here. I'm going to go out as far as the coast with the family at the weekend here, just out towards Laytown, Bettystown. Ah, great. To give the van the run. And then back in in October, we'll be back down in Campfest in October again for the weekend. Kerry, here he comes. Enjoy the freedom, Darren. The online world is such a crowded space that for me it takes something really special to catch my attention. Trixie's Treats did. Here's Kate McShane's Mammy Fiona explaining how her wonderful daughter was the inspiration. This little girl, I'm, I feel emotional already. Um, she's been in our lives 
eight years and she is my daily inspiration. Um, I look at her life and she just takes everything on with such enthusiasm, grit and just determination. And I kind of, you know, there's an awful lot of bad news out there and social media gets a bad rap. And I just kind of thought, I think I can tap into that and do something. Come here, it has no agenda. That's the great thing. Um, I don't plan anything. If I just something pops into my head, I just, you know, I don't overthink it or anything like that. And I think people have kind of, they've taken to it. You know, that kind of way. It's honest. Yes. Sometimes raw. Um, it's real. And um, Kate appeals to people like, I, I, I just can't explain it. Um, as I say to an awful lot of people, everybody needs a Kate in their lives because she doesn't take anything too seriously. She has to work extremely hard at things, even though she doesn't see it. And she is the light of our lives. Yeah. And you are our carer. And I want to tell listeners that you have three children. You have Keevine, Emmett and Kate, 14, yes. 10 and 8 years of age. Kate is the youngest and she has Down syndrome and you are her carer. So yeah, you take care of her. And she is, look at you've described it brilliantly there. That's why we love this. Love you and love her as well. And why I wanted to give it an outing here today on, on the show. Tell them about her huge success at, at, at the start. Was it a week into lockdown or just before it? Um, no, it was just it, it, as lockdown was kind of starting because my husband, John, um, because of lockdown, he finished up at work just temporarily. And um, yeah, the two of them just, well, she got into her head. She wanted to cycle her bike with no stabilizers. And the two of them, because we live on the Cord Road and Drogheda and the fabulous backdrop of Lawrence's Gate. And uh, yeah, the two of them went up and down and up and down. And you see, I'm no good because I couldn't actually let her go because... I'm her mommy and I was afraid that she was going to fall, whereas, no, and she fell down and got frustrated and kicked and shouted, but still got back on it. And, um, yeah, it was just, it, it was magnificent to go out one of the days. I took a little video of it and I posted it. And just the proudness, because we didn't think, you know, this was going to happen. You know, that kind of way, like, we yeah. just, she takes us by surprise and she takes our breath away, you know, when you can yeah. just see she gets something into her head and she just goes for it. And yeah. yes, she and gets right. knocked down, but then she gets back up. That's her song. I get knocked down, I get back up again. You know the one that should... Now, yeah. we have a special song for her, which I'm going to play in a moment anyway. But yeah. I, that's one that I think of when I think of her. Because I want to tell listeners, for Kate to master a bike herself and ride is a huge, huge achievement. Yeah. You, you've always... You know, you, it's come through there. You've always worried about her, even from she was very small. You had a very sad day when you looked at other children when she was quite a small baby. Just tell me that little story. Yeah, um, she was actually... I think she could have only been a week old or a few weeks old and I was sitting feeding her and this group of teenagers went by our window, group of girls, and they were laughing and, you know, and I just burst out crying and my husband got such a fright. He was like, what's wrong? He thought there was something wrong with Kate. And I started saying, it's not fair, like, Kate is Down syndrome and she'll never be like that. And I put it politely, my husband told me to cop on and that she'll be in the thick of it. And I just was like, he took my breath away because he had such positivity and he was like, cop on. Like, of course, she's going to be able to do all these things. And now 
looking at her little life and how she adores school in St. Patrick's and St. Bridget's with an amazing teacher, Mrs. Redden, and she has a lovely group of little friends. Circa is her best friend and she'll be in the thick of it. You know? She is, and she is the life and soul of the party. Folks, I encourage you, look it up. Trixie's Treats, that's T-R-I-X-I-E, apostrophe S, Trixie's Treats. There's 4,000 people following it. It's marvellous. And as you say there, it really is so honest and so on the money. Here's her song. I know she loves Bob Marley, doesn't she? She does, yeah. And just a big shout out to her two big brothers because they are, like, they have... They're great fellas. Anyway... Especially for Kate McShane. It's Three Little Birds. God bless you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What fantastic people the McShane family. We wish them well. As the week progressed, many more people came under the microscope for their part in slavery and racism historically. Fenian John Mitchell was one, and with a local GAA club in Loud bearing his name, we called on our resident historian, Sean Collins. Sean told us all about Mitchell, and I wanted to know Sean's views on revisionism and history. John Mitchell was born in Derry, but he actually grew up in Newry, so there's quite a a, a local uh, connection with him. And he's buried in Newry as well, but... um, in the uh, 1840s, because of his outspoken um, nationalist views and his determined nature to get rid of England out of Ireland, uh, he was deported on trumped-up charges of what they called treason felony. Uh, and he was forced uh, jailed on Spike Island, where Mitchell Fort is called after him. He was then shifted to Bermuda, and from Bermuda, he ended up in Van Diemen's Land. And in 1853, he managed to escape on board ship to America, uh, not unlike John Boyle O'Reilly, I suppose. And in America, um, we didn't hear a lot about him uh, until he came back to Ireland uh, in the 1870s, and he was elected an MP for Tipperary, but died suddenly and is buried in Uri. But in his life, uh, he had uh, an amazing turnout of books and publications and writings. But in his time in America, he became an advocate for slavery. And he very much uh, upset uh, everybody over there because he felt so strongly that slavery was the thing to do. He was very much in favor of slavery. But as I said, in Ireland, it was something that wasn't known about. But it has emerged in the last few years. People have begun to question his advocacy of slavery. And while he was a a nationalist hero, uh, the slavery thing did not go down well. If you do a bit of research on him, you can find that he argued with people like uh, Jefferson and he had no time for Abraham Lincoln. Uh, He was very much a man of the South. And indeed, in the Civil War in America, he lost two sons who were fighting against uh, Thomas Francis Marr's Irish Brigade in the Union Army. Uh, And Marr had been a friend of his initially. But on the issue of slavery, they definitely parted company. He had very, very strong views. He advocated the value and virtue of slavery, both for 
uh, black men and white men. And uh, so he really was a very uh, reactionary character. And, yes, no uh, wonder No wonder when you say that, Sean, he's in focus again at this time. I'm just thinking about the poor John Mitchell. There's 10 of them in the GA family across Ireland, one of them, of course, in County Louth. And I was thinking about, do you know, do you remember that saying when Prince, he, he changed his name, the artist formerly known as Prince. It could be the club formerly known as the John Mitchells. Yes, wouldn't it be quite a mouthful for Michal O'Murahortig or whoever would be coming? Yes. <laughs> on a commentary it would be a mouthful for sure but seriously Sean like when you when you look at getting serious again and this is a serious matter um, what's your view on this you know what what is a club to do should they just well, what, change their I, name I, I don't know what the club can do I, I wouldn't be a, an expert on the GAA but um, the whole na- nature of history is revision and mm. this is really strong revisionism uh, for history uh, when people really begin to consider uh, what really happened as opposed to what the popular belief is. Uh, the, the problem with it is that, you know, people's identities are linked to their histories. And if they're proud of the history, if they're proud of a tradition that John Mitchell, uh, for, them, for someone to turn around and tell them, you know, you can't be that anymore because it's not correct. He was a slave. He was a supporter of slavery. You know, it's rubbing very much against the grain. But where does it stop? Uh, revisionism has gone on since the earliest historians. You know, there's a, there's a story of uh, sometime um, in the 1990s, a historian in America was asked how long was revisionism going on? And he said he reckoned since Herodotus. And uh, the interviewer said, do you have his phone number? Herodotus was an ancient Greek historian and the one that they model all history on. Uh, So it's very hard to know because, you know, when you look, if you take even in County Loud, probably because of the political structures over the last few years, over the last hundred years, uh, we commemorate everywhere uh, Republicans who died in conflict, be it in the War of Independence or in the Civil War, Yet there are many men, uh, there are a number of men from the county who died in the Civil War and because they were fighting on the, the national, for the National Army or the Free State Army, uh, as it was called, they're not remembered, they're not recalled anywhere. They've been airbrushed out of history, probably in the same way that Mitchell's slavery views were airbrushed out of Irish history. Yes. So revisionism being ongoing, uh, history is changing all the time. And uh, mm. so... How the clubs are going to deal with that, I don't know. But perhaps, as you said, they'll be the club formerly known as the John Mitchell. Well, it's uh, it's one suggestion that came to my mind almost immediately. We've been in touch with the club, incidentally, Sean, and they say, look, they, they don't have a comment to make at this time. They actually haven't met with the COVID situation in, in recent times. They are planning to meet and they'll keep us in the picture and we're grateful to, uh, to get that uh, little line there from the John Mitchell's club. Look, I, trying I, to be a short... I, I, I remember going um, to Newry back in the 1980s with a history group and a gentleman there, long before we had a peace process or anything like that, uh, the gentleman uh, that was taking us round uh, gave us a great tour of Newry, but he neither mentioned Mitchell or his statue or anything else in, in Balboa because he's buried there as well, his, his, his grave is there. Uh, but uh, they obviously had decided to write him out of history back then, but maybe that was more to do with his 
nationalist views uh, than his, his position on slavery, which probably hadn't yes. even come up at that time. And then sure. in, in recent years, I've read of him as a slave trader, but I don't mm. think he was actually a slave trader. He was an advocate of slavery. Yeah, yeah. Um, just about a minute before we have to say goodbye, but in that moment, perhaps you'd just uh, address this. Um, the taking down of statues, memorials are being looked at, even you're talking about paintings on display of people, not just to do with slavery and racism, but warmongers, ideologists, etc., etc. Where will this end? Or do you feel that it is appropriate, starting with this, to remove all of those who advocated slavery? I, I I don't know if it's appropriate or not. Um, uh, Francis Joseph Bigger, uh, the great uh, antiquarian and supporter of Parnell, in 1912, there was a proposal to remove the obelisk at the Boyne. And Bigger said that he felt it shouldn't be removed and he wouldn't have been very much in favour of William of Orange. But he felt it was important that those things remained on the landscape to remind us of our history, be it good or bad. And I, I would kind of be in that sort of frame of mind myself. I wouldn't like to see things removed. Um, uh, the statue this week um, being chucked into the river uh, over in, in Bristol. Uh, yeah. my, my, my good friend, uh, Connor Dowd. Do you know Connor? He lives up on the Cod Road. Uh, Connor mm. wondered, should we throw Joey Maher and socks in the river now? <laughs> oh, Sean, Sean, please, please. And I know you'd be campaigning for Joey anyway, not to be touched. Anyway, Sean, I have to leave it there today. Thank you so much. Okay, Jerry. Thank you. Many will tumble, but our sporting heroes never. Rounding off our look back this week are Carrie and Jimmy Smith. They've come together with brilliant covers of classics, which I've been playing regularly on late lunch. It was nice to catch up with both of them at either end of the country and I wondered how the lockdown EP recordings came about. Here's Carrie. Uh, Jimmy and I recorded, kind of on a whim, we recorded You Wear It Well. Uh, maybe, is it a year ago, Jimmy? I don't know. Um, but Yeah, a year ago, of course, yeah. yeah. Because, because he found his banjo and, um, and he said, what, what could we use this for? And, <laughs> um, and so he said, think of a song. And um, I've been a, a very big fan of Rod Stewart for as long as I can remember. And I, I know that the the opening chords, I think, to to that song and to Maggie May are. I think they're. I think they're. I think they're banjo. Are they, Jimmy? I, I don't know, but they just mandolin. 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 Okay. Yeah. Bangelin. And uh, so that's that's kind of what we recorded that in the first place. It was just. It was, it was just an idea we had. And then when lockdown happened, that song um, came up on Memories and Jimmy shared it and people loved it and it seemed to entertain everybody, which was what everybody needed at the time. And uh, we did another and just kept going from there. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> Fine banjo, have songs is the strap line for this. Jimmy, how do you do it when you're in separate places? It's complicated, and the, the algorithms are, aren't our friend, but it, it was essentially live, Jerry. Uh, Carrie, in fact, this, I've been complimented several times by engineer friends and people in the industry about the great sound on, on those things, and uh, Carrie was actually singing into a, a, an, iPhone, a, an iPhone microphone in Carrie, mm. right? So it would be a live performance. Yeah. I would get it, and we'd do it live as it were. Then I would do some post-production on it with the sound, because I have a studio here. 
So it was li- essentially live, but then doctored a little bit sonically so that it could sound really good, you know. But it's very easy with the, with the voice I carry to make it sound amazing, you know. I'll tell, I'll tell you one thing. You'd actually think that you were both in studio nearly together. The quality's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think so, yeah. So uh, did my, I worked a lot on getting that. But again, as I said, I was given such... When Carrie, when I would get her vocal, when we would do that, I would have the raw vocal, which would be her just singing into a, a phone. And then it was so easy to make it sound so much better uh, because it's such a fantastic mm. voice, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. You're a match made in heaven, Carrie. That's for sure. Yeah, we get on well. You know, it's, it's easy with, the, with him being in Dublin, me being in Carrie. We never argue. <laughs> <laughs> Dublin and Kerry never arguing. Me than Kerry. It has worked yeah. out very well. Uh, well the same, same colour screen is old, you know what I mean? So we have a few things in common, but uh, no, we've been working together anyway in, in various capacities. I've been producing, and we've toured a lot in the UK with Rumour and people like that in the past three or four years. So we have a very good relationship as a as a as a as a pair of musicians. So we've never tried something mm. so stripped back as this. Uh, the idea really became after the initial banjo thing. We thought, okay, let's get some classic songs and rethink them, just featuring your voice, Carrie, and and just a guitar, no production tricks, no extra instrument. Now, having said that, we've just been invited uh, in early July to do a performance with the Irish Chamber Orchestra doing this music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that'll yeah. be interesting. It'll be just Carrie's voice, guitar, and chamber orchestra. So that'll be very nice. And I'll tell you all about that when it happens. And I'll send you a copy of the audio when it's done. You know? Oh, yeah. Make sure you do. Tell us this. How did you... Right, the first two... One happened, and the memory, as Carrie said there, came up, Jimmy. But how did you uh, go about picking these songs? We, 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 between the two of us, uh, Carrie can sing anything. So uh, I, we, we picked her favourite tunes initially, and then I would have some ideas about some songs that weren't so well-known, like that Elvis Costello tune, and maybe rethinking the Brian Wilson tune. And I knew that if they were treated in a certain way, as soon as Carrie started singing them, it would just be fantastic. So I was, that's how we did it. We'd back and forth to a couple of phone calls. I'd, we'd talk and we'd decide on one tune. It was all done very quickly. This is all done over three weeks in lockdown, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's easy to sing songs that you love and it's easier to find older good songs, you know, I think, because um, because I think music had a higher quality from um, a certain time. So it's it's much easier to sing the types of songs that, that are in your mind anyway with going up with and, and knowing that everybody yeah. else is at home loving those songs as well and maybe would like to hear them. Um, mm. It's it's nice it's nice to um, to give songs like that um Remind people about them, you know. Yeah. Do you know what I'm going to say to both of you? And it's probably a thing you don't want to hear at this time. I don't know how it's going to happen. There's a tour here. There's certainly a big, big tour here. People want to see you do oh, live there doing no, this no stuff. There's no doubt. And I've just been on the phone this morning to Hamburg. There's a, there's a record company in Germany wants to bring us over there. We've been invited to Denmark. The UK wants us to do a, sh- a couple of shows there. Uh, there'll be an Irish tour as soon as we can but I mean at the moment we can't really think about that but uh, we're, we're happy to go out and play and do just the two as a, as a duo just the voice and guitar uh, ideally smaller venues but uh, mm. it'll happen as soon as, as soon as we're allowed make it happen with this pandemic thing we'll, we'll be doing that <laughs> Oh, for sure. We can't wait to see you on the on the road with this. You're missing it Carrie I take the, the live performances. 
Um, I'm what, what my favorite aspect of of music is recording. So okay, um, I'm. I would like to do this. I would like to tour this because of the, how confident I am about these songs already because they've been tested. And I guess that that's not what would be normal for somebody going out touring music. Some um, on, for for an artist who wouldn't be very well known like me prior to this. I think if I if I um, put my hand up, I don't think I was very well known before this in a lot of cases. And um, I don't have to sing my own songs, so I can be a little bit more confident because you know who doesn't love David Bowie or Clifford mm-hmm. T. Ward? You know, it's. I think it might be a bit easier. So it, I think it would be nice to do this, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. They're, they're, I hear them clamouring out there for it. Look, I'm going to play out with Yellow Brick Road, which I absolutely love. Just before I go, and I have to say my thank yous, Jimmy, iTunes, Spotify, how do people get hold of Lockdown 1 and Lockdown 2? At the moment, they can only get it through my Facebook page, or Carrie's Facebook oh. page, if you want to carry or my page. Uh, they can get it that way. And I'm in negoti- we're in negotiations at the moment to release it through the label probably in Germany to to iTunes and Spotify. That'll be a little later. We'll probably just a single okay. album at that point. But it's not fully yeah. available yet, only through our, our personal pages. Which are easily Facebook page. Yeah, Facebook pages. Jimmy Smith or Carrie as well, you'll get it. You're brilliant. I love what you're doing. Keep on doing it and congratulations. And I'll keep on playing it, I promise. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Jimmy. Bye, Carrie. Wonderful, wonderful people. Hi, Jerry. Your Aunt Anna was a wonderful neighbour of mine in Marion Park in Drogheda. Always had a big smile on her face. She had. She was a fun-loving woman. She really was. Thank you for that lovely comment there to me to finish today. I'll say goodbye with Carrie and Jimmy. Take care of yourselves. See you Monday half on. It's Yellow Brick Road. When are you gonna come down? When are you going to land? Should have stayed on the farm I should have listened to my old man You can't hold me forever I didn't sign up with you I'm not a present for your friends to open And this boy is too young to be singing The blues Society how You can't plant me in your penthouse I'm going back to my plow Back to the howling old Out in the woods Hunting the horny black toad Will I finally decided My future lies Beyond the Magic. Hopefully coming to a venue near you as soon as live performances resume. That's it for the moment. We'll have more interesting conversations with great guests soon for you on our next podcast. In the meantime, do join us each afternoon for Late Lunch Live from 1.30 on your station, LMFM. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.